0: If you don't know me, my name is Lee Hudson. If I haven't seen you in a while, it's great to be back. Um I mean you got a Bible today. Hold it up near. Do if you would. Philippians 2. I got uh, I have kind of a grudge against my buddy Greg McCormick because uh he got to teach the verse right before this passage, which was one of my favorites, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you both to will and to do. To his good pleasure, thank you, Greg. (laughs) We're going to look at the passage right after that. Um, Anybody that's close to me knows that the Hudson family is a football family, especially the women in my family. Monday nights at my house growing up during the fall, uh, if the Steelers were playing or the Broncos were playing, my mom was in the middle of the floor acting a fool. My mother-in-law, super fan, New York Giants. It has not been fun to be around her this fall. My darling wife, some of you know her. She's five foot four and she's a Cowboys fan. Yeah. I tread lightly when the Cowboys lose and they do lose I watched my little wife shut down a Pop Warner football game from, a, from the opposite side of the field from the announcer's booth because it didn't start the clock on time. And I wear military-grade earplugs sitting next to her. I'm not lying. I love it. It's so much fun to be with her at football games. My boys' team lost in the first round of the playoffs last weekend. It was a heartbreaker, three points, uh, in just a couple plays, and they would have advanced. It was amazing. Great, great deal. Now, Football's over for us, and so, so I've, been, I've, been, I've started to attend high school uh, girls' volleyball games. I, the first time I ever went to one of these games was last year. It's incredible. I absolutely love it, and uh, I have no idea what's going on. Uh, but I know this. I mean, some of those girls are intense. They are dangerous. They'll kill people. Uh, the serves, I don't know how they do it. I've been counting steps and trying to figure out. It's like ninjas doing ballet. It's crazy and uh yeah i don't know the rules but i you know i'm competitive and i love good competition and so i'm standing up and screaming you got to be kidding me and then i go what was that call oh we're wrong sorry ref <coughs> athletic teams especially especially high school athletics is so awesome because of because high schoolers are so emotional about everything anyway and and it's so awesome uh even college sports Athletics, the Apostle Paul refers to that a lot um, in his letters because there's such a great example, um, an illustration of spiritual depth in relationships. In fact, watching the level of emotion and vulnerability and generosity and sacrifice, patience, pain, commitment, selfishness, working through conflict, it's unbelievable to watch. And it comes down sometimes to one split second at the end of months of training, and a whole championship is on the line. And there's an aspect of all of that that by nature is very, very, very spiritual. Teams that are successful tap into the spiritual dimension of relationships or they don't win. It's amazing to watch. Every player must commit all of her weight to the team. He has to lift the weight. She has to throw the medicine ball. He has to do the stretches. She has to do the jump drills. Each player must pull the best out of each other. They've got to stay up when it's hard. It draws the best and worst out of people. I believe that's why Paul used those athletic analogies often. There's one of them in here. It's a visual picture of what real love can be. His warm, affectionate, relational tone with the Philippians in this letter urges them to pull together as a team. All through chapter 1 and into the first part of chapter 2, he issues a number of challenges to this deeply loved group of people. This is a very informal letter. It's not systemic like a lot of his other letters. He's just talking to people that he loves. That's what I love about this book. And he's telling them, hey, love each other. Let your manner of life be worthy, be courageous, be of one mind, be unselfish, look out for each other. All these challenges are this great big crescendo to the challenge to commit all of our weight to working out our salvation Fear and trembling for it's God who works in us to work to both to will and to do to His good pleasure. It's awesome, and it's stuff. This stuff isn't easy. It's really scary. It's difficult. It's terrifying. I don't want to do it sometimes. I don't want to try it again. I don't want to get up. I don't want to work on it anymore. But it's worth it. It's a worthy cause. And by the time Paul gets to chapter two, verse fourteen, that's where we're what we're going to look at today. Paul is issuing a specific invitation and challenge and exhortation to commit, for us to commit as followers of Jesus Christ, commit all of our gifting and passion and effort and energy to a worthy cause that we're supposed to pursue together as a team. So what's the cause? What is the cause? The cause is be the good news in the world that you're in. That's where it lands in this room today. Be the good news of Jesus Christ in the world that you're in, in your circle of influence What is implied is that people, the people he's talking to, know what it means to be a follower of Christ. They know what it means to be Christians. They are Christians. That's who he's talking to. So, verse fourteen in chapter two: Do all things without grumbling or disputing, for the good news to spread. Point number one: Following Jesus cannot be done alone. Following Jesus cannot be done alone. It cannot be done alone. I'm going to say it again, it cannot be done, can't do it. So here's a question, this is the only way that I, can, that I can figure this kind of stuff out. I've got to flip things on its head and ask a question about what's going on. What is the only reason why we would, if we were together doing something, doesn't matter what it is, what is the only reason why we would grumble and fight when we're trying to do this together? What's the only reason why we would grumble and fight with each other? I mean, think about it. If everybody's in agreement and we're all working together and everything's going smoothly, what's the only reason why there would be dispute and agreement and disagreement? In a healthy scenario, if we're a team and we're working together, there can be argument because we're trying to solve a problem together. There can, I mean, we can be all kinds of emotion associated with that, trying to figure out the best way to do it. The argument is about how to do the, use the best resources that are in front of us to do the task at hand. But there's no harm taking place. That's teamwork. But Paul is talking about grumbling and disputing that's all about character assassination. So what's the only reason why there would be a big fight about it? Because they don't want to be a team. Everybody wants to be an individual. Everybody wants their own thing. Everybody wants to exert the least amount of effort and still get the result they want. Sound familiar? You see it everywhere. You'll see it before the sun goes down tonight. It's fall, so that's not very far from right now. Sorry. (laughs) Grumbling and disputing cannot exist and, hear me, grumbling and disputing cannot exist and there be anything left to fight for that's worthwhile. It takes away everything that's worthwhile. You can't see it. All of a sudden, it's about everybody getting their own way and, in, and executing their own agenda. We've got to do this together. As important as a game may be to an athletic team, and some of you are going to be a hater when I say this, okay? Even at the professional level, athletics is a representation of life in the real world. It's not, it's not the real world, it isn't. Is that a shock to some of you? I might not make it home. Now, following Jesus, advancing the gospel, being a light in the world, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, stepping into this thing as a team and doing it, now you're talking about saving marriages. Now you're talking about ending sexual abuse and domestic violence. Now you're talking about life and death stuff. Now you're talking about addressing the problem of addiction that has a stranglehold on our culture. See what I mean? This is a worthy cause. It cannot be done alone. So do you know what gets lost? When the church is in dispute and arguing and making it about personal agenda and staying apart and doing exactly what Paul is saying not to do? This is what gets lost. I am a professional therapist. That's my day job. I see pain every day. But I'm first a pastor and a follower of Jesus Christ and I believe in the church and I'm gonna tell you what gets lost because I see it in my work. My phone rings in the middle of the night and it's a desperate mom whose kid is strung out on spice or heroin. And she cannot connect him to a body of Christian people that will vigorously pursue this young man, do the intervention, drag him off the street, get him to treatment, walk with him, find him, love him, be with him. If there's grumbling and dispute in the church, all bets are off. Can't connect him to anybody because it's not there. My work is not designed to do what the church must do. You hear me? No amount of work that, that I will do in my life, and this is true for, all, for anything worthwhile, it all leads back into what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a community of people that goes and gets people back, rescue them. Big stuff. If there's grumbling and dispute in the church, this young man may get lost and die alone. Some of it's up to his choice, but the church is, this is, Paul is talking about a challenge to the church to do something great, big, and huge, and only the church can do it. Church is called to a worthy cause to advance the gospel of Jesus to hurting people who need him and have nowhere to go for help. That's what the church is for. And where there's grumbling and dispute, nothing gets done. Because we can't do it alone. We try to do it alone and everybody's fighting with each other. Try to do it as individuals, no team, no win. For real. Do everything without grumbling and dispute, verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Point number two, following Jesus has visible impact. Following Jesus has visible impact. I feel loud in here. Am I yelling at you guys? I mean, just, are we okay? All right. (laughs) Don't don't mess with me, man. (laughs) Christian people do the relationship the right way. It has immediate impact on the world around us. Immediate, can't stop it. Why? Because the world has no idea how to do relationships. It aches for it. I listened to Senator Lisa Murkowski talk about this government shutdown thing this week. It's unbelievable to hear her. I'm telling you, that thing is a little bit practical and about 98% relational. It is. Amazing. For two months, I've been hearing on the NBC Nightly News about hurt feelings in negotiations. Anger. Fear. Unbelie- it's a relational thing. Hurt feelings in government negotiations. Can you believe it? And this now it's cost the country a whole lot of money now. Why? Because it's not practical. It's relational. Okay, drunk driver kills two innocent young girls on the street over an ab, on Abbott Road. My wife and I are connected to three families that are impacted by that event. Horrific loss that will never be healed in their life. You know why? Because a man believes that his actions do not impact people. That's relational. And lest we be grandiose, okay, because it's not just him. There's two sides to it. I've thought a lot about this because this thing hit close to home in my house. Lest we become grandiose, the culture will not really do what's necessary to stop drunk driving in this city. The culture won't do it. Why? Because the culture will have to do a relational thing to make that choice. And the culture won't do it. Why? Because everybody wants to have their alcohol and drink it too. I'm not stumping, okay? I'm not up here just just like yelling at an issue. I'm telling you that according to Jesus, according to Jesus Christ, the only people who really have a notion of real relationship, love, care, righteous indignation, passion, heroism, courage, faith, wisdom, healing, acceptance, humility, patience, spiritual fruit, the only people who know about that stuff are followers of Jesus Christ. The rest of us or the rest of the world? You can't do it. If you need evidence, Yahoo news. On your way out, not where you're sitting here. Put your phone away. I'll come get you. Do all things without Oh, by by the way, you know why Jesus said that about us? About followers of Jesus? We're the only ones who have a notion of how to do a relationship? We don't do it perfectly. We don't. Why? Because How do we know that? Because Paul's addressing dispute in the church, okay? So we're not doing it perfectly. But you know why Jesus says that? Because Jesus Christ is God, and he created the human spirit in the first place. Every other world religion is borrowing it, okay? Do all things without grumbling and dispute, that you may shine blameless and innocent in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. Blameless is not perfect, Blameless is not perfect, it just means guiltless. I really harmed you, I'm being hypothetical. Hey, I really harmed you, and I'm sorry. I was wrong in that deal, and you got hurt, I'm sorry. Blameless. Get it? Innocence is not perfect. Innocence has nothing to do with perfection, not the way it's being used here. Innocence means childlike. It means transparent. It means sincere. It means no deception. It means no layers. It means it means open like a window or clear like a window. A friend of mine told me about sincerity once, and this is folklore, so if you go look it up, you can, some people will say this. But the, the root word for sincere refers to pottery uh, that was made way back, and I think it comes from a Greek word. But sincere... What they would do is they would, they would fill the, the flaws in an earthen vessel with wax and then coat it with ceramic paint or something like that. And the only way you could tell that the, that the vessel had cracks in it was to hold it up to the light to see if they were there. And so the word sincere, some folks believe, means no wax. Like, you're seen for who you are, which means if there's cracks, they're there. I'm out in the open. I'm not perfect. I don't have all the answers. I need your help. Tell me what the back of my head looks like. I missed a spot when I cut my hair. Whatever, okay? Sincere, okay? The world needs it. Why? Because the world doesn't have the first clue how to live that way. It doesn't. God, the creator of the universe, made us for it, though. When the world sees genuine spiritual transformation and authenticity, it cannot run away from it. It doesn't. It chases it. It's a light show. It's beautiful. It's attractive. It's irresistible. You can see that all the time, too. Following Jesus has visible impact in a broken and perverse generation. Have you seen this new show out called Preachers of L.A.? (laughs) Some of you have. I got two things to say about that. If you haven't seen it, it's not going to change your life if you go watch this thing, okay? But, but it's I, two things to say about it. First of all, it's about these guys that drive these, I mean, they drive unbelievable cars and live in these great big houses, and they're, and they're pastors at these churches uh, down in Los Angeles. And I don't know much about it, but I've watched a couple of episodes, and I'm just like, I get back up from my TV, I'm like, somebody's going to get struck by lightning. Like, whoa. Because there's some stuff on there. But here's the thing because I connect that to this whole understanding of how the world sees us as followers of Jesus Christ. The reason why the show is going to work is because that's exactly the perception that everybody has of what being a Christian is. It's totally backwards. Completely. And here's the truth. And this is the other thing I'd say about it, because it's just an illustration. This is the truth about a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, okay? I'm going to put this on the screen, and don't... To try to write that down this is just so you can read along with me, okay? Genuine followers of Jesus do not draw attention to themselves in a grandiose way so as to coerce through the power of suggestion, persuasion, or power. That was not Jesus' model. That is not Jesus' model. As the result of, a, of spiritually transformative work in the life of a Christ follower, people will be drawn to the light of Jesus. In the changed person, not to the person's charisma, not to the person's charm or words spoken passionately. People are repelled by the gospel as the result of their own refusal to recognize their need for help, their need for change, their need for God. those are who are, who genuinely need God will be found by him using the light of the illuminated transformed heart as a headlamp into the lost person's soul. Once illuminated, the heart inclined to surrender will not resist the love of Christ which saves completely. I'm telling you, if you're changed by the Spirit of God, connected to other followers of Christ and doing the work of just being available to what comes next and spreading the gospel of Christ, the change is irresistible to a hurting soul that knows how to ask for help. Following Jesus has visible impact because it is Jesus doing the work, not us. Some 15 years ago, I I just, I mean, I had read the passage, I don't know how many times, I I think it's Matthew 9, where Jesus is standing over Jerusalem. Thanks, Nate, you can pull that slide down. Um, Jesus is standing over Jerusalem, and he's weeping because they're harassed like sheep without a shepherd, and he's lamenting because there's no workers to go get them. And he's asking, where's all the workers? I mean, where are all the people who are going to spread the gospel? Who's going to do all this? There's so many hurting people, and because a lot of us in this room struggle with workaholism, we associate Jesus' lamentation with with a challenge or the necessity to kill ourselves trying to do God's work. It's not what he's asking for. How do I know that? Because you flip the page to the next chapter, and it's Jesus saying, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How does that work? Not calling us to just work harder. He's calling us to be something. And the reality is, for us here today in this room, I have no idea where all of you are spiritually or what you're hearing when I'm talking about all this, but I know this. It's not about just going crazy trying to do good things. Good luck. (laughs) Just be yourself and do the next right thing as God changes you, and and the rest, he just does it. You become irresistible. You're not the light. You're just the light bulb. We make it way too hard if we think that it's anything we do that makes it happen. It doesn't work that way. Athletes will tell you, some things just can't be coached. Some things just cannot be coached. It's a gift. If you've been changed by Jesus on the inside, you've got everything you need to begin watching what Jesus does with your life to change other people. Can't do it alone. Change produces visible impact. Verse 16, holding fast to the the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud. Is Paul talking, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. There's the athletic metaphor. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Those are thick words. Those are Jewish people hearing that. I knew exactly what that meant. I'll, I'll explain in a minute. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Point number three, following Jesus is assisted by humble mentors and friends. Following Jesus is assisted by humble mentors and friends, and they are many. there's a lot of us proportionately not a lot of us compared to the number of people that are out in the world that need to hear about jesus but there's there's a lot of humble mentors and friends around you're not alone, and we're all just paying it forward like if i'm if i if God has done anything in me, standing here on this stage to humble me and break me so that it's just so I can pay it forward to you and tell you you know what <laughs> The less you kill yourself trying to to do good stuff, and the less you try to put this thing together on your own, the better off you're going to be. Stand still. Be still and know that I am God. Stop. Let him do the work. Take your hands off of it. Following Jesus is assisted by humble mentors and friends. I am paying a heavy price in my life for not being willing to ask for help. A number of years ago, a friend of mine uh, framed a third-floor addition on my house. And he was a contractor and figured out this ingenious way of framing an entire third floor in two pieces off-site. And so in October of 2004, with my 8-year-old son, we took the roof off my house on Saturday. And Monday, the crane showed up, and there's a third floor in my house. It was awesome. Now, you've seen houses in Anchorage that have these big, long icicles hanging off the eaves, right? That looks great for postcards. It's not good for a roof, Okay. So here's my brand-new addition, and for the last nine years, okay, nine years, I've been growing giant glaciers off my house in the wintertime. Why? Because I didn't ask for help to do the insulation. Did it myself. I got this. I'm going to do this. So there's no draft going up through the roof space. It's a hot roof. It's not working right. And I mean, it has been epic. My own ice factory. So about a month ago, I actually tore some access hole or cut some access holes into what, look what was going on. And now, knowing now what I didn't know then, hindsight being twenty twenty, I looked at it and I went, that's a problem because I've learned some things since then. So I called a called contractor. I I just got on the internet and found a reputable company. A young man showed up, been in the family business his whole life, and uh he stuck his flashlight in one of these access holes, and he goes, dude, this is complicated. Dude, whoever did the installation really jacked this up. <laughs> and you know what I did? I'm telling you what, okay? Because he's not going to, I don't know. I hope he never finds this out, so can we keep a secret here? <laughs> I just said, boy, you're right. Whoever did that thing really jacked that, I don't know. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. And they messed that thing up. <laughs> oh. Yeah, he just keeps going. He says, dude, I got to take some time to figure out how to do this. This is crazy. Hmm. Dude, this is, yeah, for a half hour, you know. A carpenter friend of mine said, and I think I heard this after this whole episode, and this would have been almost a decade ago, this friend. This friend of mine said, you know, a carpenter always has time to do it right the second time. Yeah. Got to ask for help. Didn't ask for help. Pay for it. The Apostle Paul is a blueprint for a humble mentor and friend. He really is. There's been many since, but we don't realize, you know, if you, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and look at what Paul went through, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes the last one. Five times I took 39 lashes at the hands of the Jews for being a minister of the gospel of Christ. Five times, 39, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. I mean, imagine that. You just go out in the courtyard and people throwing rocks at you. A kid beamed me once with a rock about that big in the head and it's life-changing. Like. Three times I was shipwrecked, night and day I was adrift at sea, frequent journeys, danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, that's everybody who isn't a Jew, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, a toil a hardship, though many, through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety about all the churches. here's the truth. Paul is speaking to these people. I hope you get this. Paul is speaking to these people in this little place, and he's telling them he's doing what he does as a foundation for what they do. Here's a crazy thing. He sees his work, all that stuff he's gone through that list, he sees all of it as, as foundational and secondary to the work they're doing in the church actually doing the work. Get a hold of that. He's talking about his sacrifice being a drink offering. That's a Jewish term. It, refer, it refers back to Jewish temple sacrifices in the Old Testament. If Philippians would have gotten immediately, the drink offering is the offering after the real sacrifice. He's looking at this little church and he's saying, Your sacrifice will be and is much deeper than what I've gone through. That's amazingly humble for, of him to say that, and it's heavy for you and me. It really is. Why? Because he's physical sacrifice for the preaching of the gospel. And his eventual death at the hands of the Romans. He was a martyr. He was killed by them. He was killed for preaching the gospel of Jesus. It pales in comparison to the sacrifice of people in the church. Settled in yet? Better ask for help. Better trust your mentors and friends. Better speak up about what we need, folks. Being a Christian costs. Why? Because there's a whole lot of people out there that, who in denial will not believe that they are worth loving. They're like rabid dogs and they just bite. They don't realize that they're being loved and cared for. Deny that they're better off with God in their life. Denial will cause them to rage at Christ's followers. Rage when they're being loved. Kill the hope that life can be any different. Rather die than believe this Jesus thing has any merit. They'll kill anybody who gets close enough to challenge the idea that relationship is necessary for life. And the list goes on. And that's just the people who say, I absolutely am not a follower of Jesus Christ. There's lots of people who name the name of Christ, and they're wolves too. And they scare me worse. I can deal with the guys flipping me off to my face. I know where he's at. You follow me? Yeah, we all we all met those people flip you off behind your back. I love you with the love of the Lord. Okay, <laughs> I'm not going to go any farther. <laughs> we pay a heavy price for being a Christ follower in our own home, in our workplaces. In our churches, in our closest relationships, in our family, why? Because, because we're mean people and because we're bad people? No. Because, now listen to me. If you don't write anything else down, this, this, this one right here, I don't know where I got this, but this thing has been a pivotal truth in my life. There is no more powerful. Hang on. There is no more powerful force in the universe except for love than refusal. There is no more powerful force in the universe except for love than refusal. There is no more powerful force in the universe except for love than refusal. Refusal. Refusal is what got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. Refusal. God's not good enough. He's lying. He's holding out on me. We've got to make up our own solution. Hey, let's make, let's make clothes out of poisonous leaves. That'll work. You're not enough, God. You're lying to me, God. There's no way this thing can be true. i got to work harder at this because you know what? If God doesn't come through, what am I going to do? I'm scared. Refusal, 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 and refusal kills Christians. You're going to die for it. Jesus said it. You're going to pay. I'm going to pay. I've paid dearly in my life for my commitment to Christ. I don't want to get beat up like Paul did. I don't. I don't want nothing to do. Ain't nobody got time for that. That just jumped out of me. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, Lord, Jesus, there's a fire. I love that lady, man. She's awesome. I don't want to get beat up. I don't. But some of my deepest wounds, some of your deepest wounds, some of our deepest wounds are not physical. They're emotional and spiritual. That is the truth. I became a warrior for Christ a long time ago. And I have done that very imperfectly. I made a lot of mistakes, hurt a lot of people, and that's mine to own, my amends to make. At the same time, man, I've paid a heavy price for being a follower of Christ. It's hurt. But what's my deepest encouragement? It's the Apostle Paul's in my life. It's the people who've gone before me. It's the people who grabbed me still. It's the men who've grabbed me this week. It's the people who've who've grabbed me in the last 48 hours. My humble mentors and friends tell me I'm not crazy. This Jesus thing is brutal, it's violent, it costs. what What do we do? We call our friends. We call, the apostles, we call the Apostle Pauls in our life, guys that have gone before us, gals who have gone before us. We call our brothers. We call our sisters. We call our, we call our homies, people we can trust, people that won't take you away from it and say, you know what? It's going to be okay. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear that I'm not nuts. I want, to hear that it really, I want to hear that I'm not crazy for hurting. You see what I'm saying? We've got to have that, folks. Why? If I will ask for that. Two days ago, I had to text my kid brother. He never went to college. He never went to seminary. He'd, he's an outdoor Grizzly Adams kind of guy. I mean, he, bush pilot, guide, and all that stuff, and all that kind of thing. Is Some of the deepest wisdom is from a, from a man in my life who knows my story. And all I did was I texted him a list of names. I said, You know what I'm thinking about today? About, about 35 years. Because it just on me. And he's spoken to my life. He became my humble mentor and friend. To just say, Dude, I'm with you in that. Got to have it. Why? Because that was Thursday morning. And God has called me to be a warrior in the lives of people. And I, we've got to fight with a clear head. And, I mean, minutes after that, somebody comes in and they sit in front of me, and they don't need some gobbledygook, psychobabble crap. They need Jesus. And they're not, it's not going to be talking about Jesus. It's going to be my presence with them telling them, you're not alone, and you're not crazy, and here's what might be going on, and here's some questions you can ask, and here's some things you can pursue. And at the end of this, it's a God solution for you. It is. All of us get to do this. It's so worth it. So it's awesome. Sound familiar? <laughs> I'm telling you, you show up and you tell the truth. You show up and tell the truth about what Jesus has done in your life. And I'm not even talking about overt stuff. You just let, you just let God speak through you, and you're going to start thinking differently as you follow Jesus Christ. You're going to get stomped. You will. And you and I need the Apostle Paul to understand what it's like to get stomped. There's gonna be days like this. You hang in there. I'm with you, I've got you. You hang on, grab that, grab my arm. I'll do this with you. Mm. Sign me up. We gotta minister to each other's wounds. Patch each other up, be a team. Come on, get out there. You can do it. Go. Come back when you get hurt again, I'm right here. We need humble mentors and friends. Can't follow Jesus alone. Following Jesus has visible impact. Have to have the assistance of humble mentors and friends. Verse 17. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. That's a little bit out of context the first time I saw that. After all of that warfare, you should be glad and rejoice with me. How does that work? Point number four, no real lasting joy comes without a cost. No real lasting joy comes without a cost. The sum total of life on this earth comes with a measure of pain, intermittent joy. Spiritual warfare that rages all around us in this room is something we're we're so accustomed to it, we're numb to it, folks. We are. I'm numb to it. I forget. It's a war. Let me tell you how it's a war. My friend told me once. A friend of mine told me four or five years ago. He said, "Our, get this just right. Our spiritual persecution in the United States is isolation and opulence. Our spiritual persecution in this room, my friends, is opulence and isolation. We spend more on our coffee in the morning than some people will make in a month." And we can't make a marriage work. We fear traffic jams and having to stand at line in Best Buy for the latest version of the iPhone. And I see young men on my, my son's football team who are getting ground to powder between moms and dads who grovel for power in their relationships and they put their sons in the middle of it. And we condemn the teenager. I'm going to get in trouble here, okay? Here goes. We condemn the teenager because the only thing that young man can find is the weed he smokes to numb the pain. And we make it about the weed. I'm telling you. I am a parent. I watch. So I watch parents do this, and I fight the same temptation. Why? Because no temptation has seized us but that which is common to man. And we need... God to help us stand up underneath it, or we're toast. Why? Because even as, even as transformed followers of Jesus Christ, if God's done the real thing in you, you still have this flesh thing that's going on that wants to go back and do it the way you're familiar with, because that worked for you to some measure, okay? So I've watched parents, and I am a parent, and it's the most difficult thing in the world for parents not to tell their kids what they should be and watch the child fight for enough air to dream and express their own feelings. And we wonder why children leave home and they either never look back or they stay so enmeshed that they never launch away from their their families and do what God has meant for them to do. And God's dream for them, God's dream for you and me as kids growing up and God's dream for our children is so much bigger and more magnificent than what we can concoct out of our own mind. It's so much bigger, and it comes without a shred of condemnation and no pressure. His dream's huge and big, and we kill him. We kill our kids because we're trying to relive our own life. It's, this, is a, this is what spiritual warfare is. You're in it. I'm in it. And it's worth every battle won. Oh, man. I was in California this summer. I put my arm around this young man. I'm going to be an old man and I'm going to see that kid's face. Some obscure place in California after a football game. And all that kid needed to hear was somebody telling me that, he, that they were proud of him. Wrecked me. I looked into that kid's face. And I just said, I'm proud of you. It's worth every battle won. It's worth every heart redeemed. It's worth every life transformed. The joy at the end is like none other, but it costs. Can't follow Jesus alone. If we follow Jesus together his visible impact. We're surrounded by many, many humble mentors and friends. They're here. They are. The joy at the end is worth the battle. So the question is, hey, what are we waiting for? You don't have to make a list. You don't have to come up with this big plan. Just let the Lord do the work and do the next right thing. It's worth it. Can I pray for you? Lord, I don't know. I... I have I have no idea where these where this goes. I just know that the work that you're doing in me is so. The only thing I've got is it just feels like building an airplane while it's running down the runway, ready to take off. And uh, I know I'm not alone in that. And so, as always, I'm praying that 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 your Spirit makes sense of everything that's just come out of my mouth, so that. It's acceptable to you, and it's and it does its work, because uh, ultimately I'm just grateful for the work that you've done in my life, and I'm grateful for how you've set me free, and I want it uh, for the for everybody here and to the level that that can be true, and so um, I'm grateful for the power of your truth that sets us free. I'm grateful that it divides um, and clarifies. And uh, and it leads us into a place of um, deep purpose and cause and meaning. And uh, I thank you for it all in Jesus' name.